Now this morning we're going to be in today's gospel reading, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and it begins this way. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now who are these wise men from the east? The text calls them magi in the Greek. They are magicians, though you shouldn't picture a man in a tuxedo pulling a a rabbit from his hat, right? These magi were men of learning in the ancient world. They were seers and scholars and astrologers. They pored over ancient manuscripts and scrolls. They were men eager for knowledge, looking to the heavens for a word from the gods. And they wished to know the future, particularly the rise and fall of the nations and rulers that surrounded them. Now, this is not a difficult desire to relate to, is it? Consider how much of our time we spent worrying about who was going to be the next leader of our nation. We know that these changes will have a huge impact on our lives and on the people around the world. The Magi have that same longing to know what the future holds. The hymn we just sang says there were three wise men probably because there are three gifts mentioned in the text, but the Bible doesn't actually say how many magi there were. They were likely accompanied by a large entourage of servants and guards and family members as well. And Matthew goes on. These wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now how did these foreigners from the east know that the star they saw prophesied something about Judea. Well, perhaps it's because, as we just saw in our series on Daniel, the Jews themselves had been taken to the east under the rule of the Babylonians and then the Persian Empire. Daniel himself had actually served as a magi in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar and his successors. What did we see him doing there? He and his friends were taken to Babylon for the purpose of studying Babylonian literature, of searching through the ancient texts and learning how to advise the king on matters of state. And of course, we saw Daniel interpreting the king's dreams and the visions that God gave Daniel. This is the work of a magi. And what sort of things did we see described in those strange and confusing visions of the book of Daniel? Didn't we see that all those visions were primarily concerned with the rise and fall of kings? They told of rulers and empires then in power as well as those that were to come. So that's the sort of thing Magi were concerned with, studying, chronicling, even anticipating the rise and fall of kings. Now the Magi in our story had likely studied whatever ancient texts of wisdom they could get their hands on back east. Among the scrolls and parchments in their libraries, perhaps they even had writings that were brought into their lands by exiled Jews, like Daniel, or texts that were composed by exiled Jews, like Ezekiel. Perhaps among those Jewish scrolls, in what we now call the book of Numbers, perhaps the Magi read of another wise man, a Gentile like them, a prophet by the name of Balaam. And in the story of Balaam, the God of the Hebrews had spoken to this Gentile seer, revealing to him things to come, the same kind of knowledge these magi sought. And I mention Balaam because in the book of Numbers, God speaks to Balaam 
of how he would raise a ruler from Israel who would conquer the nations of the promised land. And this ruler was symbolized as a star. Balaam had prophesied, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. These are the surrounding peoples. The Jews understood that Balaam's prophecy pointed forward to King David, but also to the son of David, to the promised Messiah, the coming king of the Jews. Perhaps this is the star that these magi believe they have seen, and as men who desire more than anything to know the future of world affairs, they travel to welcome this king and offer him their homage. Now the most natural place for them to go, when you're talking about a king in Judah, is the palace in Jerusalem. But there's no baby born there. The king who currently sits on the throne of Israel is really an imposter. Is King Herod. He comes from Edom, not Judea. He's not a descendant of David. He's no Messiah. He is a Roman puppet. And consequently, he's not very excited to hear of some new king of the Jews. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Matthew wants us to see some irony here. The wise men, foreigners, likely Gentile pagans, have been eagerly studying the scriptures and are eager to make this long journey to find the king of the Jews. But King Herod and all Jerusalem, the people who should be most knowledgeable about the Messiah and most excited about his coming, they aren't even aware it's happening. Did they not see the star? Were they not paying attention, or were they simply blind to what God was doing? So Herod consults his scribes. He says, what do we know about this prophesied Messiah, and how might we locate him? And they point Herod to the prophecy of Micah. And the reference here is an easy one to remember for your Bible trivia needs. Just remember that Matthew 2.5 quotes Micah 5.2. And Micah 5.2 says that a ruler, a shepherd of Israel, will come from the town of Bethlehem, the same town where King David was from. Now Herod relays this information to the Magi, and he says to them, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, of course, Herod has no intention of worshiping this young threat to his throne, but the Magi don't know that. Just as Balak, king of Moab, tried to convince Balaam, the prophet we talked about earlier, he tried to convince him to curse God's people, to curse Israel. So now, King Herod seeks to enlist these Magi in his plan to protect his dominion from God's true son. The Magi don't know that. Remember, it's a Magi's job to gain knowledge and wisdom and then employ this knowledge by advising kings, so they would likely have returned to Herod, if not for what happens shortly hereafter. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now this is kind of a confusing aspect of this passage. We know it's possible to follow a star 
in a metaphorical sense, right? Ships often navigate by the stars. The stars can mark general directions for us. But here, this star appears to be moving very quickly and very close to earth, leading the Magi along what would have been a three-hour journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then this star comes to rest over a specific house. Now that doesn't sound like any star that you and I have ever seen. In fact, it would be disastrous if an actual star got that close to the earth. I imagine some of you are aware of the uh, Bethlehem star or the Christmas star phenomenon. It occurs when Jupiter and Saturn align in such a way that they appear as one single bright light, often at the end of December, hence the association with the Christmas story. Apparently, the one that just happened a week or so ago was the brightest one we've seen in 800 years. But even if there were some unique conjunction of planets at the first Christmas, how would you follow such a thing from one city to the next? And how would it rest over a single house? I think it's unlikely that we're talking about a conjunction here. So what do we do with this? Well, perhaps we're misunderstanding the description given in the text. Or perhaps God provided some smaller manifestation of light that resembled a star, but was able to lead and guide these wise men. Who can say for certain? What is clear is that whatever was seen, it was understood by these wise men and by Matthew as a sign that divine light had broken into our darkness. And that light signified the rise of a Davidic king, a promised Messiah, long prophesied. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now remember, they're not walking into a palace or a great hall to see a prince surrounded by guards and heralds and courtiers and subjects. They find the young son of a simple carpenter. There's no fanfare or worldly glory about him. And yet, these magi show great faith. What God has revealed, they believe. And they see this boy and they bow down and honor him as a king. And so we see that Christ draws men from all nations to himself, even as a child. The contrast here between the Magi and the people of Jerusalem is striking. Herod and all Jerusalem with him are troubled over this child. The Gentile wise men bow before him. And Matthew, I think, draws our attention to this distinction because it foreshadows later events of his gospel. Many of Jesus' fellow Jews will reject him. And so the gospel will go to the Gentiles. As Jesus himself will later illustrate this, the vineyard owner will judge the tenants who killed his son and he will let out the vineyard to others who will give him the fruits in their seasons. As Paul describes it in Romans, the vine dresser will cut out the dead branches and graft in wild shoots that will bear fruit. These wise men are Gentiles bearing fruit. This early story in the life of Christ foreshadows that. All Jerusalem is troubled. The Gentiles bow before him. 
Christ draws the Gentiles to himself, and they pay him tribute. Look at verse 11. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, God had spoke to that prophet Balaam in the night, warning him not to curse the people of Israel as the Moabite king had commanded him. So God speaks to these magi in their dreams, warning them not to return to Herod as he had asked. And this is the first but not the last time that God will intervene to save his beloved son from Herod, just as he once intervened to save baby Moses from Pharaoh. Now what are these gifts that the Magi bring? We have gold and frankincense and myrrh. In the past, the church has seen them as symbolic. The church father Irenaeus suggested that gold is associated with royalty. Frankincense was used in worship, so that represents divinity. Myrrh was a spice used in burial, so it represents death. And maybe you notice this interpretation is reflected in the verses of We Three Kings. Now, whether that was Matthew's intention or not, there's certainly truth to it, isn't there? Jesus is king and God and sacrifice, as the song says. If we were to search through the Bible, we would find that gold and frankincense and myrrh are connected with worship at the tabernacle and temple. There's gold plating and furniture in God's house. There's frankincense as an ingredient in the incense that is burned there. Myrrh was used in the oil that anointed the furniture and the priests. So if we take this approach, I think these gifts show that Jesus is the new tabernacle, the new temple. This little child is now the place where, where God dwells with man. All true worship of God must now occur in Jesus. Thus, his worshipers are baptized in Jesus' name. They offer their prayers in Jesus' name. We approach God in Jesus. Matthew is showing us Jesus is the new temple, the new house of God, which will draw the nations to him. And in this light, we should remember who it was that furnished the gold and supplies used in the building of the original temple. It was Gentiles. The Egyptians gave gold and cloth to the Israelites as they were leaving in the Exodus, and they used that gold to build the tabernacle. Who supplied the resources for building Solomon's temple? It was Hiram of Tyre, a Gentile. He gave Solomon the lumber and craftsmen and precious metals needed to build the temple. Who commissioned the building of the second temple when the Jews returned from exile? It was another Gentile, Cyrus, king of Persia, who sent the Jews out with gold and silver and sacred vessels and animals for sacrifice. So do you see a pattern developing here throughout Scripture? Throughout the story of redemption, God has been using the wealth of the Gentile nations to sponsor the building of his house, of his temple, of his tabernacle. And so Matthew begins the New Testament here with the Magi bringing rich tribute and gifts to the new temple, Jesus Christ, for the sustainment of his family and the building up of his house. God is building his house with gifts from the Gentiles once again. Now, aside from the symbolism of these gifts, the church has also seen their presence here as fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies about 
the Messiah. The psalm and the Old Testament reading assigned for this Feast of Epiphany bear this out. Psalm 72 is a prayer for Israel's king. It says, May he have dominion from sea to sea. May kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. May people be blessed in him. And nations call him blessed. And this, is, uh, this reference is why the Magi came to be called kings in a lot of our songs and uh, literature. Because of these psalms that talk about kings coming to the Messiah. Isaiah 60, a prophecy of God's future plans for Israel. It says, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. They shall bring gold and frankincense. Your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations. If we read Matthew 2 in light of these texts, as the church has in the past, we see that this visit of the Magi is not just a story of some starry-eyed magicians on a diplomatic mission of goodwill. These Magi are the first fruits of a worldwide harvest. Before he can even speak, Jesus is drawing the nations to himself. They are bringing him their wealth, their gifts. They are bowing before him. He is the promised Messiah, the son of David, the fulfillment of the scriptures. That's what Matthew wants us to see as he recounts this visit of the Magi. What child is this? This is Christ, the king. The one whose praise is sung in the Psalms. The one whose reign is foretold by the prophets. And he is drawing the nations to himself. So why do we celebrate this Feast of Epiphany and read these same texts year after year? Because we need this yearly reminder that the prophecies of the kingdom will come true. We look at our culture, we look at our world, and we're tempted to think that everything is going to the devil. That evil is winning and the kingdom is losing ground. That the nations are falling away from the love of Christ. But Matthew tells us it's not true. It will not be true. For we see with the Magi that King Jesus has been drawing the nations to himself from the moment he was born. And throughout the scriptures, we are told that this is how it will be from now into eternity. In fact, this is the final note of the whole story. I want you to think about the last book of the New Testament, the Revelation. It's a synonym for the word epiphany. Chapter 21 of Revelation pictures the church as the new Jerusalem, the city come down from heaven. And how does the Apostle John describe this city? He says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Remember, we said the Magi's gifts show Jesus to be the true temple. John goes on. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So once again, we have an unusual, unexplainable light. Jesus says in the next chapter of Revelation that He is the bright morning star that lights up this city. 
and of this star, John goes on to say, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. You see the connection. Just as the Magi followed the light of the star and brought their glorious gifts to the Christ child, now Jesus is the bright morning star. And the nations will follow him into his kingdom, bringing their glory to lay at his feet. From beginning to end, the New Testament tells us that the nations will come to worship King Jesus. So, knowing the story of the Magi, knowing the prophecy of Revelation, we should have great confidence in our King. From ancient of days, it has been His destiny to bring the nations under His rule. Even as a helpless babe, He could draw all peoples to Himself. How much more so now that He is the risen and ascended Lord of heaven and earth. So trust in this word. God has sent His star into the darkness. He has sent His Son to take away our sins and lead us into the kingdom. Trust that He will continue to draw all men to Himself and offer all that you are and all that you do as your gift to this King, that you might point the world to the bright morning star, the Savior of the nations, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Everlasting God, you brought the nations to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Fill the world with your glory and use us to reveal yourself to the nations through him who is the true light and the bright morning star, Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.